The thing about digital trust is understanding what a breach of trust looks like, understanding about the far-reaching consequences that can tarnish reputations, cause all kinds of long-lasting customer and consumer distrust, and determine how you as an organisation are going to deal with that. You're listening to KBcast, the cybersecurity podcast for all executives. Cutting through the jargon and hype to understand the landscape where risk and technology meet. Now, here's your host, Carissa Breen. Joining me today is Joe Stewart-Ratray, ISARCA's Oceania Regional Ambassador. And today, we're talking about ISARCA's recent report, State of Digital Trust ANZ Research. Now, we will be linking the report in the show notes for those who want to understand a little bit more and have a little bit more fidelity on the report. But... We're just going to be talking about some of the key insights. So, Joe, thanks for joining. It's great to chat to you again. Hi, Carissa. It's a pleasure. So, Joe, I want to start with the report. Now, it says in the report 96% say that digital trust is important to organisations, but we hear this word trust floating around and we often hear it at conferences and things like that. But what does this sort of mean to you? Well, I guess if we look at that 96% of uh, that say digital trust is important to their organisations, I think that that means that almost all of the, the respondents know that trust has become the bedrock of all the transactions and relationships that we have, especially as people are increasingly reliant upon digital devices, technologies, services, and indeed processes around them. So for me, it's interesting that almost all organisations that responded know digital trust is important, yet only 12% of them have a role dedicated to digital trust. So there's certainly, for me, a gaping hole between the action and indeed walking the talk, if you like, um, and the understanding of the need for digital trust. Now, I'm unsure whether that's because people are unsure of what digital trust actually means. We all know what trust means, but I think when we put the word digital in front, sometimes that can bring about a bit of uncertainty. And if we look at all of this from a consumer point of view, and, and there are some really good stats coming out of America, that only 54% of Americans trust technology companies to do the right thing. And that's actually down 3% from last year and down 19 points from 2019. So there's been a decline in trust, which I find um a little alarming because that means there's a decline in trust in the digital environment. And I think the most interesting part about this too for me was that the most talked about topics that are less trusted include 5G, probably not a surprise there because we've heard a lot about that in this country too, artificial intelligence. And we've also heard a lot about um, ethical issues around artificial intelligence and the internet of things uh, and virtual reality. So I thought they were interesting things that people were really a little less trusting about. Uh, I think that the growing number of data breaches that we've seen over recent years has probably also decreased trust levels significantly. And let's look at ISARCA's definition of digital trust. This, I think, helps frame the understanding of the term. So digital trust is the confidence in the integrity of the relationships interactions and transactions among providers and consumers within an associated digital ecosystem. So if you break that down, 
It includes the, the ability of people, organisations, processes, information and technology to create and maintain a trustworthy digital world. So it addresses ethical behaviours and expectations among all the parties that are engaged in any particular transaction. So how do we, so you said before about the decline, which was worrying, which is fair enough. How do we sort of measure that? How are companies measuring, oh, we've got a decline this year? Oh, that's a very good point. Is there any sort of metrics or what's the modality to measure this? Well, the interesting thing is that you would usually measure that decline against a known framework. And is there a known framework that that it's being measured against? Very fortunately, ISACA is about to release one, but that's in the coming months. I think the thing about digital trust is understanding what a breach of trust looks like, understanding about the far-reaching consequences that can tarnish reputations, cause all kinds of long-lasting customer and consumer distrust, and determine how you as an organisation are going to deal with that. You know, the other thing that we have these days is, you know, lightning-fast communications, social media, and, you know, even areas of an organisation that have nothing to do with it, perhaps an incident occurring, can suffer potentially devastating reputational or regulatory or financial effects. So it's so important to understand what digital trust means in the context of your organisation because the context may be different depending on the kind of business you are. Are you a healthcare provider? Are you a banking organisation? Are you um, an art gallery? Because it's going to be different. The context of digital trust is going to be different for each of those. So I think an organisation has to be very much aware of the context in which their business operates and what digital trust looks like for them. So you say that ASAC is bringing out a new framework uh, in the coming months, which is, which is great. How do you think companies are sort of measured it though historically? Is it sort of been a little bit anecdotal? Has there been any sort of uh, applied mathematics? Is it just Carissa Breen's on? I've not seen any. Right. Carissa, I've not seen any applied mathematics on digital trust. I think there's been a lot of gut feeling, a lot of traditional assurance across the landscape, but I've not seen, you know, really good digital trust benchmarking because what are you going to benchmark against if there's not a tradition, if there's not a fit for purpose framework available to you? Yeah, most definitely. And I think that's been the, the struggle over the years. Like, how, how do you measure it? And do you think companies are measuring, for example, our lovely group on Twitter? They are very uh, colourful in how they sometimes treat organisations. Do you think that's embedded in there in terms of, oh, well, we've got 50 people in the last day sort of tweeting us about how bad our company is. Do you think that sort of plays a part in the digital trust? I think it certainly does. It's That's about strategic comms, isn't it? It's about communications and communications is playing a bigger, bigger part in our daily business lives. Absolutely. There'll be somebody monitoring the hate mail, if you like, across Twitter and other socials. And yes, I think that does play into it. It's, it's you know, why do they hate us? But that's not really about digital trust. That's about why consumers dislike your particular service, perhaps. It's not that they necessarily distrust you. They dislike your service. So I think there's confusion around what digital trust is and indeed what disliking your service offerings are. Yeah, interesting. I, I'm with you on that one. So there's a couple of things that come in my, in my mind as you're speaking. Do you think over the years, because we are in this digital age now, like let's look at a bank, for example. Back in the day, we didn't have online banking. You'd go to bank, you'd withdraw your money, all those types of things, and you'd uh, deposit your money as well. Do you think that 
companies now are, are changing the way that perceived trust has been? Because maybe historically people trusted organizations a lot more than they trust organizations now. And if so, why do you think that's the case? I think that's absolutely true. I think, you know, back in the day, I think there was a great deal more trust. You know, you think about, I mean, I remember when I was a child going with my parents when they were going to the bank and to go and see the bank manager was a big deal. You know, he was a he. It was definitely a heat back then. He was a trusted member of the community and thought I'm incredibly highly. And if Mr. Watson, the bank manager, gave you the stamp of approval, that was pretty sensational. Well, that's changed. We actually now also doubt. Uh, we also ask questions. You know, you want all this information from me. Well, why do you want this information from me? How are you going to store that information? So all of these things suddenly I think we have become certainly more questioning over the years and therefore perhaps a little more cynical about about aspects of trust. Why do you think people are questioning? Do you think it's because there's a more awareness now um, in this space? I think we're, we're louder and prouder these days. I mean, you know, you just talked about socials. Well, there are all kinds of uh, attitudes and opinions out there that we can tap into. And, you know, now we know that people often don't buy something unless they have a look at online reviews of that particular product. Or indeed, is this a legitimate product? I mean, you and I both know we've both typed in is XYZ legit into Google to see what Dr. Google comes back and tells us. So I I do think that's a thing. Okay, so we spoke about the decline, how, you know, there isn't an effective way um, historically, hopefully with Isaka's new framework and methodology to prove that, that will hopefully change how we're measuring it. But how do we sort of gain digital trust? And how and do you think that the gaining of digital trust is different to how we gained digital trust historically? If we use the bank example, you mean digital trust versus traditional trust? I actually think the fundamentals of trust is the same, or are the same. You trust something, you implicitly believe in that, or and so you trust the brand, or you trust the transaction, uh, or the person. So I think there is. That fundamental part of trust is still the same, but digital trust is differs in as much as I am giving to you all of this information that will be kept digitally, perhaps forever, about me. So I need to feel a little more assured, or I need to feel assured that this is going to be held in trust, it's going to be held in securely, and that you will only use it for the purposes for which I have given it to you. So I think organisations with strong digital trust experience or strong digital trust will have a positive, more positive reputation. Hopefully, if they practice what they are preaching, they will see fewer breaches because their security will also be, be strong and robust and they will have the proper privacy protections in place, et cetera. And that will, in turn, bring stronger customer loyalty. And hopefully, you know, we know that that customer loyalty equals higher revenue. Uh, And so also you would hope that there would be better data protection all around if that's the approach that's taken. But further answer your question, I actually think that there are six key actions an organisation needs to take to gain digital trust. So first one is quality. So quality must meet or exceed customer expectations in everything that you do in this landscape. 
you know, customers, availability is really important. Customers need to be able to access accurate information in a timely manner. Security and privacy, we've already touched on that. You know, consumers today do expect the data they share will be protected appropriately and will be kept confidentially for as long as that organisation has it and until the time they securely destroy it. Ethics and integrity, this is something that's really uh, a hot topic these days. Organisations need to live up to their promised values. Transparency and honesty, consumers have to be informed about how their information is being used, as I've said. Uh, And it's also really important that if personal information has been compromised, that consumers should know how that organisation is going to address the situation in a timely manner and, and what is being done to prevent it from happening again. That's the other thing. What is the lesson? What are the lessons learned from the event? And I think organisations have to be resilient. You know, I know it became sort of a dirty word for a little while, but resiliency is really important. Organisations need to provide assurance that they are actually stable and secure and can withstand most adverse situations while also being able to evolve to leverage new technologies and advancements. But they also have to be honest and recognise that there was no such thing as 100% security in this discussion. So going back to customer loyalty, do you think as well, because of the velocity now that companies seem to just open up and exist because it's a lot easier to do that, do you think people are not as loyal? Because I was watching something the other day and they're just like, people are not loyal to their employers anymore. It's just the way of the world. And then equally, they're not as loyal to organisations because they can get it cheaper or faster from somewhere else. Do you see a bit of that in there as well? Oh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. You know, if I'm looking around at, say, the big banks, you know, we've had interest rate rises and the big banks race to ensure that those interest rate rises are uh, passed on as soon as they possibly can. So, of course, as consumers, we're going to ensure that we go find the best deal that we can elsewhere, if necessary. Um, So I think royalty has changed. I think part of that is also... The consumer market is so much bigger than it once was. You know, your local bank manager could have that conversation with you and say, well, you've been a royal, royal customer of, of XD Bank since, since you know, 1911. Therefore, uh, you know, we'll give you a better rate. Well, it doesn't operate like that anymore. A, the bank manager doesn't have that kind of autonomy. It's much more corporate-centred. But also that kind of longevity doesn't necessarily play to the consumer's advantage. Yeah, most definitely. I'm with you on that one. And I think that this is what creates probably a harder challenge for companies to get the trust, digital trust, because now people aren't loyal. They're not going to, they don't really care if they can get a better rate. They will. They're asking questions more, like you said, that people are a bit more cynical now. People are probably a little bit more doubtful, probably because what's been said in the media, oh, another large company got breached and they're a billion dollar company. Well, if I'm trusting you know, the guy down the road that's not a billion-dollar company. What does this then mean for me? So do you think a lot of things that have come out recently in the media is going to make it inherently harder for organisations to get the trust, which then, of course, as you said, in turn builds the, the loyalty and all of these other things? I think, look, I think that's absolutely right, Carissa. Uh, I think it does. The more breaches that we see, and when we see the big names falling with breaches, it does make you wonder, well, how does, you know, French sheds down the road manage their security? You know, when I when I buy a new garden shed from them. I hope there's nobody from French sheds listening. I just made that one up. But you know, I think that's a really important point. This 
countries built on small to medium enterprise. So we have to make sure that small to medium enterprise has the right tools to be able to assist them in their digital trust journey as well, because we don't want them missing out on their bread and butter because of the breaches of large organisations. I think sometimes smaller organisations are more flexible, more nimble, more able to respond to market uh, changes than large organisations. Yeah, no, most definitely. I, uh, I agree with you on that point. So then the report sort of says that 62% say having a digital frame, sorry, digital trust framework is very or extremely important. Now we sort of touched on this a little bit, but I want to get into uh, this a bit more because like we've sort of touched on throughout the interview, hard to measure it. There's nothing historically that's been in place. It is a little bit anecdotal. There's no like formula to approach it. So I want to understand from you, like what Tosaka doing in this space, but then also what people can maybe do perhaps um, today to start implementing some type of framework. Yeah, I think it's a case of um, have a look at this survey that that we've been talking about. I think that that report is really interesting and will give organisations a bit of a heads up. Also, in the coming months, the new framework will be out, which will be really uh, great for organisations to be able to put in place and to also be able to benchmark against. I think enterprises need to look beyond just digitising the old ways of doing stuff and instead need to view previous processes from a new perspective. Think of it from the digital trust perspective. To do this, they're going to need a structure, right? You can't just pull this out of the top of your head. So you need a new structure, not something that's rigid and monolithic with boxes to tick, but rather more of a scaffolding that organisations can use to develop, organise and communicate their digital transformation initiatives, for instance, there has to be something that's flexible. And that's certainly what the ISAGA framework is looking to do. It's You have to think of the model in 3D. It's something that's flexible and will bend to the needs of an organisation without compromising trust. So you said before, uh, sort of not doing stuff the old ways. What what do you think is the old stuff that people are doing? You know, we used to be a little bit more cavalier about how we dealt with data. You know, I would harvest as much data from you as I possibly could because just in the in case I might need it in the future, which actually puts me at risk, me as the organisation at risk, because if I'm holding all of this data and I'm breached, all of a sudden you are also in the firing line, right? So I think we can't afford to do that. We need to be very specific about why we are collecting data. You're giving me data because you need new spectacles. And so it's all about that need. So that's the need that we should be looking at and not extrapolating from that, oh, she has brown eyes, therefore she needs this. You know, so it's really, it's about making, that's a really important thing to ensure that we do things in an honourable manner. Why do you think we've been cavalier with data in the past? Is it because maybe it didn't have as much weight to it in terms of like you just said, if, if I'm holding all this data, all this PII, and then I get breached, that's a problem for the organisation and the person in security as well? Yeah, look, I think there are a number of reasons. One is that, yes, we were quite cavalier about it because it didn't hold the weight because it, couldn't be, it really couldn't be weaponised as it is today. Uh, and I think that's... That's the issue. It's the weaponizing of data that's that's a real problem. I also think that we need to ensure that we're only we only hold the data that we need for that particular purpose. In the past, it was just convenient. There were less breaches. There was there was less. There were the technology was such it was much harder to breach an organisation than it is today. 
There are hackers for hire, as we all know. There is ransomware for hire. There's all kinds of bad guys for hire, bad, bad girls for hire out there. So, you know, that's the thing that we need to be aware of is that the landscape has changed dramatically and changed dramatically over a fairly short period of time. So we have to be ready to move with the times. So in the report, it says that 68% need to prioritise trust. So how does a company go about doing this? Now, you mentioned before that there are, I think it was 12% that have someone dedicated in a trust or digital trust related role. What, what are your thoughts on that, Joe? I think it's about ensuring that leaders of the organisations champion and support the pursuit of a digital trust ecosystem. That's the first thing. You've got to have the right tone from the top. That's an American a bit of jargon that I've never particularly liked, but I actually think that it, it says what I need it to say here. I need the tone at the top to run through the organisation as part of a, a commitment, if you like, to digital trust. That should, should be through all levels of the organisation and all uh, duties that are performed. You know, So to me, clear alignment and agreement on the definition among, among professionals is an important first step within the organisation. So, you know, you have to have that commitment. What is digital trust? You have to understand what digital trust is and then you have to improve on what you have now. The whole idea is about achieving benefits of digital trust into the future. So if you don't define what you're trying to do, then no matter how beneficial it is, it becomes harder to prioritise and prioritisation of digital trust is, is critical for organisations that want to remain viable and relevant. 85% of the respondents of the survey told us that digital trust is extremely or very important to organisations today. And 63% say that digital trust is extremely or very relevant to their job role. Only 66% said that their organisation prioritises digital trust in line with its level of importance. So what about the others? This is, you know, to me, this, this will be a growing concern as four out of five respondents, about 82%, believe that digital trust will be more important in five years than it is today. If that's the case, we've got to get on our bicycles and get going. So, I mean, it's all well and good for companies to say, all right, tone at the top, we've got to prioritise digital trust. But then, of course, the, the working year starts, things happen uh, trying to keep their lights on, we've got less staff or my staff's being poached for another organisation and then this just goes by the wayside. And I say this because we're human beings. Uh, what is it at the start of every year? Everyone has the New Year's resolution and then by January 18th, no one's going to the gym anymore. They're back in the pub drinking beers with their buddies. How do we have the stamina to make sure that our intention stays true in perpetuity but also throughout the year as well? Because, I mean, like I said, setting the intention's easy, but how does someone follow through with it? I think it's about keeping being kept honest. There are a couple of things with this. I think it needs to be, again, it does have to be not just the tone from the top. When I say tone from the top, I'm talking about ensuring that there's the right resourcing in place as well, both physical and financial, to make sure that this is a possibility for the organisation, to make sure there's proper reporting in place so you can report against progress. To me, this is something that would sit Perfectly in a standing committee of board, for instance, you would report to perhaps the audit risk committee, something, someone like that. So that's what keeps the process on task because you, you've got a reporting structure in place. Because you're right, I love the uh, I love the idea of January the 18th. Everybody's forgotten what they said on New Year's Eve. Absolutely true, and this is something that I don't 
believe we can afford to do when it comes to digital trust. So those things to me are really important. And these would not be surprising to any chief information security officer out there. These are the things that we do on a daily basis. We need to make sure that we're not frightened to have the right tools in place, that we're not frightened to ask for the right budget, the right resourcing, and indeed to make sure that there's the right reporting lines. So as we keep that tone at the top alive and so that those people who are in the top echelons of the organisation actually understand what we're doing and why we're doing it and where we are on our journey. So going back to, uh, I think you mentioned before, 54% say digital trust is very or extremely important uh, that's relevant to their job. Any sort of insights around that? Yeah, apparently the top three roles indicated uh, as most critical for strengthening digital trust in any organisation would be IT strategy and governance. So that came out, I reckon, I think it was about 84%. Security, 80%. uh, Information technology, about 74%. So they're the top three roles because that's where, for most organisations, that's where digital lies within those uh, three top roles. But then it's followed by risk and compliance, and I would actually add assurance to that as well, audit, compliance, and privacy. And to me, I'm seeing more and more a convergence of some of those areas. You know, I I talk about I can't operate as a chief security officer without buy-in from the head of risk and assurance and and, and without... Uh, my colleagues in privacy and, of course, in digital services or indeed in information technology. So to me, you have to have these cross-functional relationships. So that's no different from from straight-out security to looking at digital trust across an organisation. It's also about where does the ultimate responsibility for this lie. So I think within organisations, ultimately it's at the top of the food chain But that responsibility is also delegated down the list to other parts of that organisation. And so I think it's another one of those areas that everybody will have some contribution to this. uh, And it's because it's about the continuous journey of maturing the digital trust of your organisation into the future. So I think there's also a good opportunity for any one of the areas that I've talked about to step up and take over Uh, more of the leadership role as digital trust grows as a multidisciplinary imperative. So that's what I'm saying about this this cross-functional view, take a slice across the organisation, not silo it. So for people that are listening today, Joe, and they're obviously inspired by what you're saying and they've read the Osaka report, what are some of the few elementary things people can do to sort of uh, build better trust within their organisation? Very good question. Very good question. And I would suggest that we go back to looking at how you align. How do you currently cope with digital trust? Or are you indeed? I think the first thing is to understand the current, your current state. You know, it's the old story about you can't get to your destination unless you've got a point from which to start. Along that journey, you'll need to just slightly correct as you go because you have to be uh, nimble enough to be able to move with the times because there will be changes along the way. And this is not going to happen overnight. This is going to be, this is something you are committing to a long-term goal here and it's a continual goal. So it's almost like, you know, think of a continuous improvement cycle and you would probably start off with understanding where you currently are. Look at the pain points and knock off those, those first pain points, then get them into a business as usual state, move on to the next. So 
that to me, it's the old adage about the only way you eat an elephant is bite by bite. And I think that's what you need to do with this. Yeah, that is that old adage about eating an elephant one uh, spoonful at a time. So thanks very much for your time, Joe. Thanks very much for sharing some of your insights about the report. Again, we will be linking the report in the show notes. So if you want to look into it a little bit more detail, uh, you can download that. So thanks very much for uh, your time, Joe. I'm looking forward to getting you back to talk about other ISACA reports. Thanks so much, Carissa. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that you found today's episode useful and you took away a few key points. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes. This podcast is brought to you by Merksec, the specialists in security, search, and recruitment solutions. Visit Merksec.com to connect today. If you'd like to find out how KBI can help grow your cyber business, then please head over to kbi.digital. This podcast was brought to you by KBI.media, the voice of cyber.